This is the art of charm. Learn everything you need to know to crush it in business, love, and life. The art of charm is where ordinary guys become extraordinary men. Welcome to the Art of Charm. I'm Jordan Harbinger. The Art of Charm brings together the best coaches in the industry to teach you guys how to crush it in life, love, and at work. Imagine having a mix of experienced mentors teaching you their expertise, packing decades of research, testing, and tough lessons into a concise curriculum. We've created one of the premier men's lifestyle programs available anywhere, and it's free. This is a show that we wish we had a decade ago. Now, this show is about you, and we're here to help you become the best man you can be in every area of your life. So make sure to stay up to date with everything going on here, as well as getting some killer free stuff by signing up for the newsletter at theartofcharm.com. If you're new to the show, but you want to know more about what we teach here at The Art of Charm, check out the toolbox at theartofcharmpodcast.com slash toolbox. That's where we've got the fundamentals of dating and attraction, such as body language, eye contact, vocal tonality, even relationship management and breakups. That stuff is all obviously extremely important to your success, so make sure you get a handle on that as well. We've also got our boot camps and our live training running every single week here in Hollywood, California. Details on that at theartofcharm.com or just give us a call or even email me, Jordan H. at The Art of Charm, and I'll tell you exactly what you need to know to get started with that. I'm looking forward to meeting all you guys here at The Art of Charm. Today we're talking with Gabriel Weiner, author of Fluent Forever, How to Learn a Language Fast and Never Forget It. We're gonna talk about what it means to be fluent in a language whether some people have a language gene, and whether adults can actually learn languages better than children, contrary to popular belief. We're also gonna talk about how language learning actually makes us smarter, not only for real, but also appear smarter, depending on which one you think is more important. And of course, language learning tips and strategies, how to build a foundation in a language without translating, how to learn certain things first and in the right order to maximize language learning, and a couple more language hacks that'll help you get fluent faster and what's actually involved in learning, pronunciation, and ear training, and what it does for you in the long run, both in terms of efficiency and informing connections with the people that you talk to in your new language. So enjoy this one with Gabriel Weiner. So here with Gabriel Weiner, now you're an author and an opera singer, and you speak multiple languages. And it's funny, because right when I read that, I thought, oh, well, opera's in a bunch of different languages, so that makes sense. Is that what got you interested in languages? I mean, how did that start? Yeah, I mean, one of the things actually I liked most about opera was it was like this great excuse to learn a bunch of languages. Like, you actually do need them. <laughs> There's not much other than, you know, opera singer, diplomat, spy, and maybe a handful of other careers where you can really justify spending all that time. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I'm definitely not an opera singer, so I'm one of the other ones, according to most of my audience. Basically, I mean, how did you start to learn? Because I know that we talked before we started recording here, and it was like, I was a terrible language student in high school and middle school. I'm one of the worst. And then I moved to Germany, had better German than any other exchange student, moved to Serbia, learned Serbo-Croatian, moved to Mexico, Panama, learned Spanish, you know, yeah. learning Mandarin Chinese now for fun. It's just, I'm a good language learner, but school... Yeah. School was the wrong way for me to do it, so I hated it, and I got C's in really easy languages like French. I think school is the wrong way for most people. I mean, I think it's a very rare person who picks up a language from their high school experiences. Uh, it's a little less rare, but still pretty damn rare for someone to pick up something from their college language experiences. I mean, I think the last I checked, the uh, bilingualism rate at the U.S. is 19%. 
the number of people who come into the U.S. with a non-English native language is 18%. And so you look at the, like 1% of the U.S. population that is succeeding at learning another language when they aren't trying to just learn English. Oh, wow. Yeah, that is terrible. And it also shows you that they're actually going to have an advantage if they can also get education and trade skills on top of that, that regular born in Michigan can only speak English type folks aren't necessarily going to have. Absolutely. So how did you start getting into languages? I mean, if you were bad at languages in high school like me, and then what, you start opera, suddenly you're fluent in Italian and German, and then what was the, <laughs> there's a couple dots, you know, missing steps in the process. No, you just decide to be an opera singer. Poof, you could speak them all. Um, nice. No, the, um, would be nice. Uh, I took Russian in high school, took five and a half years of it, and it was sort of middle school, high school, and got, at the end of it, I, I got good grades, actually. I was like a good language student in the sense of I got all the tests done. But at the end of it, I couldn't speak any Russian. Uh, I got the alphabet down. That was about it. I think when I came back to Russian in 2012, I figured, okay, I'm going to remember something. Like, this was five and a half years of my life. And I ended up remembering around 40 words. It was just pitiful. Wow. That's like 10th of a percent retention rate. Oh, it's just, it's horrible. It's like, what did I waste all that time doing? I went to Hebrew school as a kid. I took like seven years of whatever, elementary school Hebrew. No, that's not going to be good language anyway. But still, I left that thing. And at this point, I think I know like five words of Hebrew. Like, has not succeeded. I mean, again, like I, I picked up the alphabet and that's about it. My first successful thing at language learning was uh, in 2004. I signed up to be an opera singer. I was, I was actually double majoring. I was doing, I always wanted to be an engineer. And so I was a mechanical engineer. And then... I just decided, you know, I kind of like this singing thing. Why not make it into more than a hobby? Uh, and so I, I double majored in, in voice. And I knew that, okay, now I'm supposed to learn, you know, rudimentary German, Italian, and French. And the Russian that I had from high school was enough to sing, I guess. I had a friend who basically just said, hey, if you really want to learn German, go to Middlebury. And I was like, well, what's that? And he's like, well, this is this program where you show up and you sign a contract and it says, if I speak one word that isn't German this summer, I'll get kicked out, no refund. That's amazing. It's intense. It's awesome. I love these programs. And so I, and they had a specific German for singers program. It was a program where you could show up during the summer, you'd have voice lessons in German, you'd have master classes in German, they'd ship out people from Vienna and teach you stuff. It was all in Vermont. Like this is this crazy school in Vermont. And so I went to this thing and I showed up there with no German. I think I had a 30-minute session with a friend of mine who spoke German. I was like, what do I need? And he's like, okay, this is how you say my name is this, and this is how you say I'm sorry. And like That was about basically all I came in with. I signed this pledge saying I'm not going to speak anything other than German. And then for seven weeks, I learned German ridiculously quickly. And by the end of it, I could speak in decent conversations, I was, uh, the European levels, are, I, I, I like them a lot in terms of really grading where you are in a language. Because, like, what is fluent? What is conversational? Yeah, like, I was going to ask you that because I, I don't know really what's fluent. Fluent doesn't mean anything. It just, it's just this idea we have of, like, okay, I'm going to go into a cafe and I'm going to feel comfortable. And I ask because people go, oh, I'm fluent in German too. And I'm like, cool. And I'll say something like, where'd you learn German? And they're like, what was that? And I'm like, okay, you're not fluent in German, buddy. <laughs> I'm totally fluent in, in Mandarin. I can tell a taxi, you know, where my hotel is. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's not what fluent means. I think the more you study a language, the less you're convinced that you're fluent. Yeah, I would agree <laughs> with that because people go, are you fluent in German? And I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, I can watch movies and stuff and 
you know, but I couldn't like write a good paper in it or, and you know, I have trouble with the news sometimes. Yeah, you're right. You ask another person who's three years into German can, you know, order at a restaurant and they're like, I'm fluent in German. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure our definitions are quite different. (laughs) This is why I like the European scale. The European scale does, they have letter grades basically because they need them. I mean, you need to, with the number of languages they have in each country, you need to know exactly how fluent someone is because you need to know whether you can hire them. You know, if you have a job offering in Germany and someone from whatever Hungary comes in and says, oh, I speak German fluently, that's not enough. They need to know exactly how fluent they are. And so the Europeans, they grade this in levels A, B, and C. There's A1, which is basically I can, like, say my name. Mm -hmm. Uh, A2 is, like, I can basically say some simple identifying things about myself uh, and get a little bit of grammar in there. B1 uh, is I can kind of start talking about some fixed things, like I can order in a restaurant. This is the, uh, oh, yeah, I'm fluent. Let's, Let's be one. B2 is really I can have some in-depth conversations. C1 is kind of where I set fluency. And C1 really means that, for one, you're allowed to teach in a university, in a German university. It's where I think most people, if you really came down to them and said, okay, is this person fluent or not? If they're actually fluent, they're speaking at C1. And then C2 is really pretty intense. It, it, that means you really you can write that German paper, and it is really good style. And, uh, and you can talk about really complicated things and philosophy and handle the news and that kind of thing. That's C2. And so at the end of my seven week immersion with German, I ended up being around B1, B2. I could have some conversations. News would just kick my ass. You know, I, I could write a decent paper, but not a great paper. Like I, I knew some German. Uh, and so I did the next academic year. Uh, normally I didn't touch German at all. And then I went back, uh, for a second summer and reached C1 fluency with the sort of, you know, certification and all that. Like I, I was right. fully fluent in German at the end of that second summer. So that was the first success I had. I was like, okay, well, immersion works as you've seen. I mean, yes, like, it does work. It's I- awesome. But no one has time for that. In 2008, uh, 2007, I moved to Vienna uh, for my master's studies. Um, 2008, I went to a summer program in Perugia, Italy to learn Italian. Again, immersion sort of thing, although less strict. You cannot find something as strict as you'll find in the U.S. Like Italian strictness means like, all right, we're going to be Italian only except when we're not. Yeah, yeah. So I learned Italian probably up to like B2 level. I could have decent conversations at that point because I learned German. It started getting easier because I started knowing how to learn basically. Right. Patterns and languages, especially romance languages, same alphabet. And you're going, oh, okay. You know, this is Germanic slash romance. Like there's a lot of similarity. There's cognates. This is how you change your voice when you need to for accents, stuff like that. And yeah, you don't have to relearn how to pick up a language. Yeah. And so you save a lot of time that way. So you're working on an app slash book now, Fluent Forever, How to Learn a Language Fast and Never Forget It, which is awesome. A lot of people always ask me, oh, you know, you haven't forgotten that much German. And I'm thinking, that's weird. I haven't, or maybe I have, but I know a lot of other people that went to Germany with me and they cannot speak at all. And so there's this weird rate of deterioration that, let me know what you think. I've always been meaning to ask somebody this. If you hit a language and you reach a certain level, is it that then you sort of retain it or do some people's brains just remember languages better? I mean, I think there are differences between people. I don't think they show up as often as people think. I think people think that, okay, if you know a language, then therefore you have the language gene. And I think that's bullshit, honestly. I think there are people out there, you get these news stories of like, 17-year-old in Britain speaks 700 languages and you just think, fuck. Yeah, (laughs) this is like a savant. (laughs) Yeah. And it, can't tie his own shoes, though, usually those guys. Like, can't. 
literally have to like be fed by someone else so that they make a huge mess. Um, well, yeah. um, no, I mean, I think maybe these people exist. Uh, I think some of these cases are going to be hoaxes, but I think in some cases they're really there. Like people have real gifts, but I mean, we've all picked up English, a really hard language. Like there's no Chinese kid who wakes up or who suddenly like hits the age of eight and is like, Oh shit, this is a really hard language. I just can't learn this one. Like, we all have this ability to pick up whatever language we're exposed to. And it's not something you lose. And you really look at the studies, actually, adults end up being better than kids at learning languages, which is really... Right, that's the other myth, right? It's like, oh, I didn't learn it before age 18, so I guess my brain is, you know, I can't teach an old dog new tricks. The science says this is going to be harder for me. And it's like, I don't know, yeah. I'm learning Mandarin as an adult. I'm not a grown-up, but I am an adult. And it's going <laughs> along pretty well, to be quite frank. I mean, I hate that quote-unquote scientific fact because it's based on nothing. The actual science is that if you look at an adult and you look at a kid and you expose them to the same amount of a language, which is where it all goes wrong, you're always comparing yourself to this little French kid who's had 20,000 hours of French and you've had your little 100 hours in your classroom and you're like, oh, this kid's so much better than me. It's not fair. Like, right. the kid's studied it 200 times more than you. Um, but when you really control for the amount of time each person's been exposed to, adults learn better every time. We're smarter than kids. Like, we know how to learn things. You know, that's one of the benefits of being older. You were asking me earlier about whether there's something that makes people retain languages longer, like whether there are differences between people. And I think it's that if you hit a certain level at a language, like you were saying, you were basically the best person in your exchange program. Like, you could actually speak it at the end. Right, yeah. If you reach that level where you're actually speaking it, you're actually thinking in German. Oh, yeah. Instead of trying to translate things. You're storing this in a way that is actually applicable to your life. You're storing it in a way that your brain likes to hold on to. And so this is going to be something that you retain for a while. Now, you're still going to forget stuff, but it's going to be stuff that you can get back pretty quickly. Uh, in my own experience, I, um, for my blog, you have to write, make your street cred video where you, you show, like, look, I can speak all these languages. And so you make the video like it's required for language blogs. And I started doing this, and suddenly I realized that I'd forgotten my French. I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> and so I spent a month watching 24 dubbed into French, like oh. seasons three, four, and five dubbed into French. And that's all I did. I didn't study any grammar. I didn't study any vocabulary. And after about two weeks of watching 24, and you watch it, I mean, it's 24. You have to watch it like hours at a time and just right. binge, binge watch it. I found that after basically an hour of watching it, I could understand it again. And then after like two weeks of watching this show and watching like one or two seasons compulsively, I was dreaming in French again. Interesting. So it's all about exposure. Yeah, it's exposure. And it, it's very easy to bring this stuff back once you've built it. I mean, once it's really there in your head, it's not hard to, to bring it back. I think it's when you haven't really built it, when you're sort of working on translations and it's all piecemeal in your head, that the thing can just kind of fall apart and fade away. That makes sense. It's all duct tape and bubble gum in people's brains. But once you get a real competency for it, you can reactivate it. It sort of sits in hibernation like, oh, I guess you're not going to use German. And then I'll get on the phone or I'll even just chat with a tourist in German. And then like that night I'm eating schnitzel and, you know, back in <laughs> chemistry class in my high school in Germany. Yeah. Just like it was yesterday. And I remember when I was learning German, I would wake up in the middle of the night and I would be having a dream in German and I would wake up because... I didn't know the word for the thing I was going to say. And I was like, wait. And that's when I was like, wait, I'm dreaming. How do I not know the word for this item that I use, like her cell phone or something? And, you know, you wake up and then you're like, ah. So eventually I started keeping a dictionary right next to my bed with a little book light. 
And I would wake up, Money. look up the word, and go immediately back to sleep. And there, I would write it down in a, a journal so that I could practice it later. And I, I noticed later that there were several nights where I'd wake up, write down a new word and the definition, go back to sleep, and wake up and have no memory of it. And the only evidence I have that I even did it was that I had this journal and I was like, those words were not here, like in terrible handwriting. You know, those words that. were not here last night. And so I must have written them, you know, and essentially almost like still sleeping. That is hilarious. Now, I, <laughs> I remember having uh, dreams my first time in Middlebury, my first time in this immersion program where I'm, I'm learning from nothing. I mean, I have nothing. But you still, you, you start dreaming in a language. If you're not allowed to speak in English, you start dreaming in a language. It doesn't matter if you don't know anything in like two, three weeks. And so I'm sitting there having these dreams with three weeks of German, and they are the stupidest dreams in the world. I'm just like, hi, my name is Gabriel. Hi, I'm Gabriel. <laughs> like, this is the whole game. This is the whole dream. Right. And you're, just, you're just an idiot. You're just an idiot while you're sleeping. It's great. It's, it's really fun, though, to like, when you finally wake up and you go, oh, that whole thing was in another language, you, f you really feel a sense of accomplishment. I mean, yeah. aside from little giggles about dreaming in other languages and stuff like that, why should we bother learning a language? I mean... You and I had talked about before, language learning is, it's up there with like, see the pyramids or whatever, but most people just never do it. It's up there with writing a book, I should say. You know, most people never do it because they've already tried it in high school and college and like totally sucked at it, decided they don't have the language gene, they don't have the talent for this, and they're like, I'm going to learn Spanish, but it's kind of like right after I build my own house with my bare hands, you know, it's just <laughs> never going to happen. Why is it important to scratch it off the bucket list and actually do it? What are the benefits, I guess, of learning a second language? Language learning, there's this feeling we have in our culture that if you know a language, you're smarter than everyone else. I agree with that. That there's actually a numerical thing to that. I mean, generally, if you know a second language, you're going to be paid more. You're going to be paid, or I think it's 10 to 20% more, simply by knowing another language and not because you're using that language at your job. You may never use Spanish at your job, but because you have Spanish on your resume, on average, you're going to get paid more. And the reason for this is that your employer thinks you're smarter, thinks you're a better candidate for whatever you're doing. And it turns out they're actually right. And that's what's really cool is that language learning, it's not that if you are smart, you can learn languages. It's the other way around is that if you learn languages, it actually makes you smarter. Uh, you get better at problem solving. You get better at math. You get better at English. You get better at creativity measurably, you are smarter after learning a second language. There are health benefits to that too. I mean, you push back Alzheimer's by four to five years with just one more language. And it goes further if you know two languages, three languages, you push back dementia. What's going on behind there is actually is really neat. It's that once you've actually built a real language in your head where you can actually think in German or think in Serbian or whatever, you have now permanently implanted this little German guy who's talking at the same time that you're thinking in English. At every single moment, even if you're not thinking about it, there is something in your head saying everything in German, thinking in German. And that is extremely difficult. It's a sort of this distractor that is always there, which sounds like a bad thing. It sounds like a sort of schizophrenia or something. Right. And what that does is it gets like strength training for your brain. Uh, it forces you to learn how to ignore that voice and focus on English or ignore the English voice and focus on German. And that forces you to learn how to hold attention better. And it actually makes you smarter, which is awesome. I mean, I'm not aware of any other way to actually make yourself smarter than learning a foreign language. I mean, there are all these sort of 
Lumosity and these sorts of like brain games that you can you change your working memory by like one place or something like that. But in terms of cross the board, I am better at life. Language learning, as far as I know, is it. I mean, I'm not, I don't know of anything else. Excellent. So it makes us smarter and it makes other people think we're smarter and pay us more money. That's good. It's pretty good. Yeah. I, I think I like that fact. I like this idea that you can make yourself better with language learning. But personally, I find the biggest reward in learning a language is the experience of thinking in another way. If you, I'm a different person when I'm speaking French or Italian or German. Like these are all different people. I can talk about things, certain things more easily in French. I mean, I could talk about, you know, difficult things I've, that have been happening in my, you know, relationships or family life or things like that in French much more easily than I can talk about that in English because French is somehow a, distant language for me. It's like this thing that you can talk about philosophy and art, and it's like this distance thing. You know, Italian, I feel happy when I speak Italian. You see these different parts of yourself, and you only get to meet these parts by actually doing it, by actually going through this process of, of learning how to think in a new way. And it's like, how do you really get to meet other sides of yourself in that kind of really intimate, like visceral way? So that's, for me, that's the big payoff for me. I think that's just a, an amazing thing that you just can't get elsewhere. Yeah, I think that's probably really true. A lot of people tell me my voice changes completely different. When I speak German, different sort of personality comes out. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sure the same thing happens in Serbian. I haven't really asked about it. And definitely, I mean, Mandarin, I'm still a child, right? So, so that yeah. happens with that too. But that is extremely interesting. You do get to meet another side of yourself. Your brain, it's just using different stuff yeah. when you communicate that way. And of course, it's also associated with the experiences that you had in that place and the people that you're around most of the time in that place and things like that. You probably, in Italy, you probably do a lot of drinking and hanging out, right? So you feel relaxed and social when you speak it versus yeah. if you studied Japanese at academic, you know, in a science lab, you might feel really focused when you speak Japanese. I can definitely see that. So what about people who are bad at memorizing things? What role does memory play in language learning? How do we use the science of memory to learn languages efficiently? Um, it's all about memory. Ultimately, we're actually really, really good at taking in grammar. We're good at assembling language. I mean, we take in input and then it just sort of turns into language on its own problem is really the memory part. It's just there's uh, thousands of words to memorize. There's thousands of grammar rules. There's uh, new alphabets. There's, if you're learning uh, Chinese or Japanese, there's Hanzi or Kanji. That's like a real bitch. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's a huge memory burden. Generally, people don't have good memories for these things. Uh, I certainly don't. I have a terrible memory. I can't remember anything, except if I do it in the, in the methods that I've started developing, because it's one of the reasons I've developed these methods, because I can't remember anything. Language learning is tricky for a few reasons. What's going on is that if you're trying to learn a word, for instance, a word has, like a word like dog, this word has a lot of parts to it. On one level, you're talking about the sort of structure of this word. You know, how do you spell, like how many letters are in the word dog? Okay, three. And you're like, which letters? And what do those letters look like? Like this is sort of a structural spelling component of this word. It's totally abstract and totally forgettable. On another level above that, that's starting to become a little more memorable, is actually the sound of the word, dog. You know, it has an aw in it. It starts with a duh. It rhymes with bog, like this kind of thing. That sound is there. And that sound is there in a way that is more familiar to you in English than it is in, let's say, Hungarian. If I say that the word for dog is kucho, it's going to be much more forgettable than if I say the word for dog in some other random language is 
bok bok. Like, okay, that, those are familiar sounds, but kulcha is, is already weird sounding and therefore very forgettable. Uh, and it gets worse. I mean, Hungarian, the, the word for cameras, is and it's like, it's a word that you will forget instantly. Yeah, that's terrible. It's, yeah, it's, it's awesome. I love it. <laughs> and so your first challenge in learning a language is how do you get through that barrier, that sound barrier? How do you make it so that at the very least, this is, you're attempting to learn familiar sounding words instead of crazy sounding weird shit like, like finkebezuki. You want to train your ears as your very, very first step. Uh, I think a lot of people, they push pronunciation really, really late. They say, okay, I'm going to become basic. I'm going to learn some vocabulary. I'm going to learn grammar and learn how to say things. And then once I'm like basically comfortable, I'm going to work on, you know, getting my accent right. And it ends up being you're doing it backwards. Um, because if you work on hearing the language first, if you work on really being able to process each of the sounds in that language, you're going to have a much easier time remembering each of those words and each of those grammar rules. Sometimes you're talking about mixing up word order and things like that to boost vocabulary. And I found that to be true. I, I sort of took that one for a test drive and I shuffled a lot of my vocab. It was like, oh, I'm doing really well with Mandarin. And it's like, I learned all these numbers and all these colors and stuff. So I mixed all of those in. Numbers are a little bit easier, but I mixed all the colors in with other words. And I f was unpleasantly surprised at how I just instantly forgot all the colors. And then I got them back and now when I see the colors together, I'm like, oh, this is a color thing. But it sucks when you're learning black, white, green, yellow. And then you're like, oh, this other thing is a color because I'm learning colors. So it's got to be, oh, this one's purple, right? But when you see purple and then you see train tracks, it's gone. All that context, all those other little clues your brain is giving you that make you think you're really nailing it are gone. And you find yourself like, like you've never seen it before. I think that's something that is challenging to convince people of to some extent because Everyone's had this experience of going to language classes and like today we're going to learn the colors and tomorrow we're going to learn the professions and now we're going to learn members of the family. And it's like a really comfortable way to learn things because you feel like you've accomplished something. You're like, today I successfully learned the colors of Mandarin. Like, yes, I've accomplished something. Whereas if you just learn like I'm going to learn red today at the same time as I learn apple and at the same time as I learn to eat you've gotten a little cluster of words and they're sort of related. You're like, okay, red, apple, eat. Like you, you see the relationships, but you don't feel like you've accomplished something. You've just learned three words. You haven't right. succeeded at learning the colors. But when you look at the data, just go in random order compared to learning all the colors at once. You're boosting your retention by 40%. I mean, it's huge. If you don't do random order, if you do really sort of thematic groups where you say, okay, I'm going to learn apple, I'm going to learn red, I'm going to learn to eat. I'm going to learn lunchbox. I'm going to learn lunch. I'm going to learn whatever teacher. That's going to push you another 10% higher. And so you're looking at real serious gains in terms of how quickly you can learn these words. Because when you learn things all together, when you learn all the colors together, for instance, your brain is storing them all in sort of one lump. And so when you go back later and you say, okay, train track, and I need to say how that these train tracks are black or that these train tracks are silver colored or something, you go back and you think, okay, well, where's that word for silver? Let's see. I, uh, I learned that last week when I learned all the colors. I'm like, great, that, that narrows it down to all the colors. And you're like, all right, well, it's a color word. Well, that narrows it down to all the colors again. And you, got, you have nothing to narrow it down with. There's nothing like you, you, can't, you can't use the time you learned it to figure out which word it was. You can't use the category word to narrow it down. And so ultimately, it's just going to be confused. Yeah, that's interesting. And of course, somewhat disheartening as well. How so? 
Well, I mean, it, it's just, it's that much more work, you know, like when you learn, oh, there's this big hole in my learning, right? But actually, you're right, it does make it easier to learn in the long run, because now that we know that these things are almost set up improperly for us in terms of learning it, we can sort of go, okay, I've learned a bunch of stuff, it's not necessarily going to stick, because here's the thing, it's really easy to get discouraged yes. when you learn a, a unit of colors, and then a week later, or not even a week later, you're learning a bunch of food and you can't do the colors anymore. You think, I'm never going to get this. I was supposed to already have learned this. According to the book, I should already have mastery over this area. When really, you got an intro to it and it's going to take you 700 more repetitions to get it without fail. That's a, it's a good point. I think, I think one of the things that, that might take away from a bit of that uh, sort of language despair uh, is that as you, once you start making that shift and you start saying, okay, well, you know, screw this. I'm not going to learn them in groups. I'm going to learn them just sort of either randomly or I'm going to learn them in thematic groups where all the words are related, but not the same, like, you know, green, red apple instead of red, yellow. Um, you find that you learn the words a lot faster. I mean, a lot faster. Uh, and so everything, and I'm learning it faster. And it's, I think that can start making up for the fact that you're like, oh shit, I was doing this wrong before. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with you. Enjoy the rest of the show. I think once you start to hack it a little bit, you can see rapid progress. And is there a specific order we should go in? I mean, I find when I learn languages, obviously I understand more than I can speak. And that's true for every language. Most people go, oh yeah, me too. But that's, think about it. That's true even in your native language, right? Sure. You can always yeah. understand more than you can speak or write. Um, but do, what do we start with? Do we start with pronunciation? Because in Mandarin, you have to. Because yeah. there's a bunch of different sounds, and later on you just have symbols. So you have to learn sounds, train your ear. Is that a good way to start, or is that also flawed? No, no, that's a great way to start. I mean, I think uh, it's nice with a language, any of the harder languages, at least harder for English speakers, uh, like Mandarin, like Russian, this kind of thing. Generally, the textbooks are arranged in a more sensible way than what some of the easier languages for English speakers, again, like Spanish or French. Like Generally, the Mandarin books will start directly with pronunciation just the way they should. Whereas a French book is just going to dump you straight into, hi, my name is, you know, Jacques or something like this. Right. Sure. But yes, generally what I recommend is that you spend two weeks at least, two, three weeks, just nailing down pronunciation, training your ears to hear the new sounds uh, and nailing down the, at least the phonetic spelling system of the language. So for Mandarin, you're going to be learning pinyin. For Japanese, you're going to be learning the kana. What you want is to be able to represent all of the sounds in the language using the spelling system that the language uses. That's the first two, three weeks. We'll talk about a modification I do for Japanese and Chinese in a sec, because I think they're a little special with the fact that they use the, with their character system. Uh, but for most other languages, I run straight into concrete, simple, frequent vocabulary. I don't use a grammar book. I go straight. I have a list of 600 words, basically, that I learned first. These are words like like mother, father, ball, dog, the colors, uh, some of the numbers, like just things that you could look at a picture of and you know exactly what that thing is. You sure. don't need a word of English. You don't need English to do this. And so you can memorize the words without any English. Right, you can just map it without translating. You can do even what's really neat about, about the time we live in uh, is that you can figure out what makes these words different from what you expect them to be, what makes them different from the translations. I do this demo in my workshops where... I tell people, okay, learn your words using images. And you come up on this word, like in Russian, which means girl. 
And generally what people will be tempted to do is they'll go to Google Images, they'll type in girl, they'll find exactly what they expect to see. They'll find little girls, older girls, whatever, the whole range of girl in English. They'll pick whatever one looks like girl to them. They'll stick it on a flashcard and they'll learn Dievushka. And this is fine. Like this works. It's okay. It's kind of boring because you know exactly what you expect to see. But yes, you will learn something and it will be faster and it'll be better than learning the translation that Dievushka means girl. It's much better to learn that Dievushka means this picture. But if you search Google Images, instead of searching for girl, you search for Dievushka in Russian and you search Russian websites for what Russians think of when they say Dievushka, you will find that 90% of those girls are in bikinis with safe search on. Yeah, I was going to say, I just did that in Cyrillic, yeah. not even, you know, Latinized, and it's like 50% porn. It's porn. I mean, it's like, Dievushka is a sex object. It is not girl. It is not a word you use for your niece. It is not a word you use for, like, the five-year-old girls going to kindergarten. Dievushka does not mean that. They have, there's another word, Dievushka, which, which is used for little girls, the diminutive. And so... Yes, you can learn that Dievushka means girl, but it's so much more memorable and so much more interesting and so much more useful to learn that Dievushka means this completely new concept, this idea of this sex object. Like that, aside from the, just the, the visuals of it, it's so much more, we're good at remembering things that are new. I mean, knowing that Dievushka is some copy of some other information that I have is boring. Knowing that Dievushka is something completely new this is a new word I can use to describe, you know, these girls. That is much more memorable, much more interesting. And so for those first 600 words, I'm always searching in the target language on Google Images, and I'm finding exactly what they think of when they see each of these concepts, because it will always be different. Interesting. And you get to look at a little bit of porn while you do your language study. So there you go. And it's useful. Motivated. Yeah. And it's useful. You're actually learning something. There you go. So what this does for us long run in terms of learning efficiency and forming connections with the people that we talk to is we're starting to think more like them yeah. because we're looking in their native language, which is the way that they, the language in which they think. Absolutely. It's like, that's the goal anyway. I mean, that's what we think of influency is like, can I think in a way someone else thinks and like, why not start there? So I do. I mean, I start right there. I pick up these words. And then at that point, once I have a 600 word vocabulary and I've built all these image associations and I've tested myself on spelling to the point where I can really like spelling is not an issue. Pronunciation is not an issue. This stuff is second nature. And it's second nature to look at things and just immediately think the word in whatever language I'm learning. I don't have to go through English and be like, oh, what is this? This is a cup. The Hungarian word for cup is pohar. And then like, no, I just look at this thing. And I say pohar, like I think it immediately. Then you crack open your grammar book. And what you'll find is that because you started with the most frequent words, you know most of the words in every sentence. Like if you come across a sentence like the dog chases the cat, you know dog already, you know cat already, you know to chase already. And then the idea of, okay, now I'm going to learn what chases means. Well, that's something you can actually do now in a pretty easy way. I mean, you have the dog blank, the cat. In parentheses, you have to chase. And then you have a picture of a dog chasing after a cat. Chases is the word that fits in that slot. And that's how you start picking up abstract vocabulary. It's how you start picking up word formation. It's how you start picking up word order. It is all through stories. It's all through sentences in context. 
And again, there's no English involved. So we can build that foundation in a language without translating, learning the pronunciation first, like you said, then the simple words, then the more abstract ones. And then we can sort of play around with it. And it goes really quickly once you reach that point. Yeah. Once you finish those sort of intro words uh, and you're able to start taking in grammar, then you can basically just devour your grammar book. You just go, I mean, you don't need drills. Generally, I recommend people use uh, spaced repetition software. I I mostly like this program called Anki. It's free. It's awesome. Uh, A-N-K-I. These are flashcard programs that basically just efficiently jam information into your head. And they drill you just the right amount of drilling. Basically, you don't have to sit there doing a hundred, you know, how to make the plural form in German or something. You can do like four of those. And your your flashcard program, Anki, will drill you on it just enough, which means that you can look at one page and be like, how to form the plural. I'm going to grab two of these. Next page, you know, how to conjugate to be. Great. I'm going to grab these conjugations. Next page. And you can basically just eat your grammar book. You don't have to sit there doing drills. You just pick whatever you want, take it, and then go on. And it lets you take in the whole grammar of the language within a really short amount of time. I mean, it depends on how much time you're giving it per day, but within a matter of two to four months, you can take in the whole grammar of a language. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I've definitely used programs like that in the past, and I use something similar for Chinese called Scritter that follows my book, and it's, yeah. it's not free, but it's got all the vocab in there. It drills you, and if, say if you get something right a bunch and you tell it, you know, oh, I got this right, I got this right, I got this right, it's like, all right, he knows how to say cell phone here's another word for you. It's like, you know, desk. And I'm like, damn, I always forget that. So if I say, I don't know it, or it's so-so, it'll be like desk. And I'm like, damn, I got that wrong. And then it's like microphone. And I'm like, oh, I got that one. Then it's like desk. And I'm like, I just saw this, (laughs) you know? And then I'll get that. And then I might be like, oh yeah, desk. And I'll say, well, so-so, because it took me a few seconds of thinking. And then it's like glass. Oh, okay. I know that one wall. Okay. I know that one desk. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, desk. And then it knows to just sort of like back off a little because I got it. Yeah. Even then six months later, it'll be like, I'll be doing a bunch of stuff like airport, air China, Northwest airlines. And then it's like desk. And I'm like, damn it. I know that that looks familiar. Wait, that's desk. And then it's like, so, so it'll show up again, 30 words later, and then it'll go hide for three months. The really interesting thing and one of the things I really love about these types of programs, these these spaced repetition programs where they try to wait as long as they can before they give you desk again, is that generally we have this feeling like when we see something, when we see like this sort of flashcard and you're like, fuck, what is this word? I can't remember it. Um, we have a feeling like you failed slightly. You're like, oh, I should remember this better. Yeah. And when you look at the research in terms of what makes for a successful test, What makes for something that is going to ingrain something deeper in your long-term memory? And you compare, you gave some example, like airplane or something, where you see airplane and immediately you think, airplane, that's airplane. And then you get to this fucking desk and you see like, ah, what is that? And it takes you like four or five seconds. You're like, what is this thing? This thing is desk. Desk is now the much more effective test. The more you struggle the more effective your test becomes. And so if you can get to this sweet spot where you're always kind of like, ah, fuck, what is that? That ends up being the most effective use of your time. Something that you remember instantly and comparing that with something that you remember after, let's say, 10 seconds. Uh, The thing you remember after 10 seconds where it's just on the tip of your tongue and you're like, ah, that one's like the one that starts with the duh and it's like, it has like, I know it has four letters in it. Fuck, that's a desk. That desk is now twice as deeply ingrained as that first word that you knew easily. Because you had to put some elbow grease into getting it back in or out? Yeah. You've rehearsed the idea of, can I find this under stress? Can I find this when it's not easy? Ah, that's interesting. I see that. 
Yeah. yeah. And so that experience of like, oh, I failed, like, no, 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 no. That's the most successful test is when you, you had a hard time. Excellent. That makes a lot of sense. And I mean, there's a lot of strategies in your book that you go into to discuss more about how to sort of hack the language learning process. We had this idea like, okay, well, if I want to become better at, you know, whatever, but I want to become better at listening, I should listen more. Yeah, I should want to become better at speaking, I should speak more. I want to learn more vocabulary, I should learn more vocabulary. All this stuff is sort of self-evident and kind of dumb to say. But with speaking, for instance, and there's stuff to do. I mean, there's stuff even with listening and with vocab and stuff that you can really, there's efficiency hacks you can do there. But let's talk about speaking since it's sort of the main interest for most people. You can speak and everything can be easy. You can just sort of talk about subjects that you know already and that's all fine. And at a certain point, you're going to hit a word or hit a concept or hit a grammatical thing you just can't handle. You show up at the pharmacy and you realize, oh, crap, I never learned any medical vocabulary and I need a painkiller. And I don't know how to say it. And so every time you hit one of these circumstances, you always have a choice. And your choice is, especially if you're an English speaker, you always have the choice of switching into English. And so you can go into this pharmacy and you can say, you want a, uh, a painkiller. They'll understand you because most people speak English and you'll get what you need. But your German won't get any better. Right. However, if at that time, instead of making the English choice, you decide, okay, well, I know I, I know the word in English. I know I don't know the word in German. And I'm just going to screw around until they know what I mean. I'm going to force myself to stay into German. And I'm going to say, hey, um, my head hurts. And like, I need something to make my head not hurt so much. It's like a little ball and I stick it in my mouth and my head stops hurting. Do you have that ball? Sound like an idiot. Be careful asking for a ball to put in your mouth in German. <laughs> Fair. They'll know what you mean. Yeah. They'll, they'll get the thing. They'll, they'll sort of laugh at you. And they'll tell you the word. I mean, they'll tell you what the word you were missing. Tableta. Or pille. I love, my favorite word in German is anti-baby pille. <laughs> well, I won't, I won't ask you the story behind the anti-baby pill. No, it's just a hilarious word. Oh, okay. Anti-baby gotcha. pill? Like, brilliant. Uh, but um, for when you're surrounded by babies, right? You just need an anti-baby. Got nowhere to run. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you go through this process, and what happens in your head is that you have now trained the ability to think on your feet. You've trained the ability to run into a hole in your vocabulary and go completely around it, and that ultimately is fluency, and it's a skill. Like people think that fluency is if I just know all the words and I know all the grammar. Uh, I will be fluent in the language. And it's like, well, you're never going to learn all the words and you're never going to have everything. In English, you run out of words and you come up with random words to dance around the words you don't know. Every time you force yourself to stick to a language when you don't know, that's exactly the moment where you start becoming more fluent. That's exactly how you practice fluency. That ends up being this really neat learned skill that you can actually practice by just forcing yourself into situations where you're uncomfortable, where things don't make sense. And then forcing yourself to come up with random junk, like, ah, the, the ball that makes my head stop hurting. That's fluency. That's, that's your self-practicing fluency. So if there's going to be one last tip, it would be that one. Excellent. And that jibes with my experience as well, just because I remember not speaking a word of German for like three months and then just being like, screw it, I'm going to speak German, period. <laughs> and then I went through and I remember saying like, oh, that stinks good. And then yeah. people would be like, uh, well, okay. Things can't stink good. They smell good. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, I knew that, but I just knew I'd get corrected that rather than being like, uh, and not being able to say it at all. 
I was like, and I remember telling my host father once, he goes, try this ham. And I, I ate it and I went, uh, it tastes fuckable. And the whole room <laughs> is like a full of like family people. And they were like, I think you mean delicious. And I'm like, yeah, but I knew I would get away with that one. And that, you know, you guys would know what I meant. And it was funny because I use stuff like that all the time, even in school. Like, oh, do you want to go on this ski trip? And I would be like, oh, horny. And they'd be like, I think you mean that sounds like fun. And I'm like, yeah. And then, you know, just like even just screwing around, doing stuff like that, you know, messing with slang. And it's funny because even in my school, people were like, oh, you know what? It's funny. You play with the language all the time. And even when I didn't mean to, some of the stuff started to make perfect sense to other people. And they were like, oh, that's a fun way to say that. And it caught on, which I thought was really that's funny. Pressing through when you don't know something rather than going, oh, I don't know the word for, you know, bicycle. I guess I can't ride bikes. You go, let's ride the foot car. And they're yeah. like, you mean the bicycle? And I'm like, yeah, 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 of course. And then you say foot car four or five times and you get corrected four or five times. Now you know the word and you won't forget it. Those corrections are the ones that you actually remember. I mean, the idea of like, oh, just saying, what's the word for bicycle? And someone's telling it to you. That's much less memorable than saying, ah, oh, foot car, you know, and someone's saying, no, 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 it's bicycle. Right. Because you can say foot car in your brain and then go, no, it's actually bicycle. Mm -hmm. And then it comes out right the next time. And then three or four or five reps later, you don't say foot car anymore and you don't have to think about it anymore. Yeah. 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 Excellent. Well, thank you very much, Gabriel Weiner, fluent-forever.com. We'll have linked that up in the show notes. Pre-order the book. It's coming out. At some point, pretty soon this as well. This Tuesday is coming. I can't believe it. All right. So by the time this is out, it'll already be out. You can get it online on the interwebs on Amazon and can support healthy language learning for yourself and others. Thanks so much, man. My pleasure. Thank you. Hope you guys enjoyed that one. I had a lot of fun recording and I'm a language geek, so I understand this might not appeal to everyone, but I hope this at least inspired you to either Learn a language you know better, learn a new language if you haven't already, and maybe get off the fence if you've been farting around too long. We talked about what it means to be fluent in a language, whether or not there's a such thing as a language gene, and now that we know that there's maybe not, it can help some of us who think we're bad at those things move forward. We also debunked the myth that adults don't learn as fast as kids, and that it comes down to hours. And of course, there's science both ways, but I think learning languages as an adult, because it's something that I have done, has gone much better than it has as a kid. And also, of course, language learning makes us smarter. So if nothing else, you can at least get a little bit smarter across the board. And those language learning tips and strategies, some of which I'm definitely gonna put into use, and hopefully you guys too. I hope you enjoyed this one as much as I did. Get fluent and get the book, Fluent Forever, How to Learn a Language Fast and Never Forget It. We'll have it linked up in the show notes. Thanks again, guys, and see you next time. Special thanks to you guys for listening. Show feedback and guest suggestions. We rely on you guys to help keep our finger on the pulse. So if you know someone who's a good fit for the show, let me know, jordanh at theartofcharm.com. And of course, boot camp details there as well. Go ahead and email or call me. Honestly, that's the best way to get in touch and I'll give you everything you need to know about our programs here in LA. If you guys are listening but you're not subscribed in iTunes or Stitcher, go ahead and make the change there because getting your shows delivered free to your phone or computer while you sleep is the best way to make sure you don't miss anything. Just go to iTunes or Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts, and search for The Art of Charm. That's it. And if you guys want to write us a nice review, we'll love you forever there as well because it helps other people find us, and it's really important to keep our show ranks up. So tell your friends because the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to someone else, either in person or shared on the web. So have a great week. Go out there and get social and leave everything and everyone better than you found them. 
for listening to The Art of Charm. Get more confidence, relationship skills, life hacks, and everything for the extraordinary man at theartofcharmpodcast.com. 